Well, hello there. This is Jim the Keys bartender coming to you from a beautiful, beautiful, I'm going to say just beautiful. I'm not going to say hot and humid and all this stuff. It's just beautiful now. Got a nice breeze and all that stuff. Um, the uh, Keys bartender podcast, if you're not familiar with it, sorry for the um and the ah, it's a show about bartending and life. And today we'll be talking about life and life in the Keys and all that stuff. I had a wonderful, wonderful weekend uh, this past week. I feel like a, a third world dictator with the birthday thing. Um, it was my 60th birthday. Thank you for everyone wishing me a happy birthday. I had a, I had a great birthday. They were celebrating at work, celebrating at home. I had time with my lovely family. Wife and daughter got some nice gifts. Some lot of, lot of cake. A lot of different cakes. And uh, balloons and stuff like that. So... Uh, a lot of love going around for that. And uh, I feel so much better when the birthday's over. Yesterday, it was Sunday, the wife and daughter wrangled me a parasailing trip. A parasailing, uh, I think it's called parasailing. I mean, someone says one is when, when you're parasailing. Some, you're towed behind a boat on a parachute and you got you on a harness. And they say you go up... Um, about 500 feet. It's hard to tell when I, I, I can't tell the difference between like 200 feet and 500 feet up. Um, for some weird reason, uh, well, it's something about being pulled over water and stuff like that and being in a parachute. I don't really get um, nervous around heights. Not at all. I'm kind of really relaxed. What I was really concerned about uh, was they said, you know, when you're in the harness, it's a swing harness and you got to stick your ass out or the harness is going to get you right in the nuts. I have to say nuts because they would say they were saying they were trying to be diplomatic about what they were going to say. But they said it'd give you a really bad wedgie. I knew what they meant by that. And that was a major thing I was concerned with. And they told us about how you keep, when you go up, keep your legs straight and all this stuff. And my daughter and I went up and it was wonderful. It was thrilling. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful day. It was a, a little breeze, but not too breezy. Um, uh, a little cloudy, but not too cloudy. And we got to see, you get, you know, 500 foot view of the Keys and the Florida Bay. We were on Florida Bay at uh, Playa Largo. And we had the Caribbean Water Sports, owned by uh, acquaintances of ours, Daryl and Jean. I'll talk about uh, later. I'll post their website. So if you're ever in the Keys, the Caribbean Water Sports, they have uh, catamaran cruises, kayaks, um, uh, paddle boards, and of course, the uh, parasailing thing. I hope I'm not screwing that up. And it was great. And the crew was very professional and fun. And we had a great time. Also, I wanted to talk about um, one of the main things that kind of get people freaked out. About seven years ago, uh, I I was working at this nice restaurant in Isle Morada, about 20 miles south of where I live. And it was a nice restaurant. They had a really great wine selection with some high-end wines going up close to $1,000 a bottle, right? And there was a young waitress. She always hated opening up those expensive bottles of wine because it was it was terrifying because it was the finer the bottle of wine, 
the more particular you have to be on how you open it. It's just a perceived perception. You just want to be able to present the wine. Someone's spending, if someone's spending six, seven, eight hundred dollars bottle on a bottle of wine, you better be careful and how you know not dropping the bottle, taking the cork out, op- you, know, op- you know, removing all the foil correctly, making sure the label is pointed at them, pouring the taste to the person who ordered the wine. You know, just a little so they can sample it. Make sure it wasn't, you know, and that's kind of scary if they say, I don't, you know, someone opens a $600 bottle of wine, they take it and say, this is no good, right? What do you do with it? I haven't come up with that. That's pretty good. But there's always a possibility. There's always a possibility to say, oh, I don't really like this wine. They don't really tell you about that. When you you take a course on how to present wine, they, they don't mention when someone does that, you better have something to come back because I don't know if there's an insurance policy you have for a bad bottle of wine because that's a big, big liability you're assuming on a bottle of wine. Obviously, it didn't cost the restaurant $600, but it's still a couple hundred dollars. You just don't want to, you know, you want to pour it down a drain or use it to make um, pan saute. But one of the things, other than the bad bottle of wine, that's really scary, on the finer wine, so the wine bottles that still use cork. And I, I don't really, this isn't a, a show about the composition of cork, but cork comes from one particular tree. And what happens is sometimes, if the wine is more likely than not, if it's an old bottle of wine that hasn't been stored correctly and the wine uh, doesn't, stay near the cork. There's no moisture there. There's a possibility of dry rot. And dry rot on a cork means that when you put your wine key in, it starts crumbling. And that's terrifying. It is terrifying because you're thinking, if you get that crumble in the cork, now the the thing you have to do when you start seeing it crumble is you've got to be very particular at that point. You're going into DEFCON level four shit when that cork starts crumbling. And the higher the price to bottle, the more concerned you're going to be. And you got to, first, you've got to relax. Okay? When it starts crumbling, you've got to stop. And then you've got to start approaching it some way. You have to go, when, when a cork starts crumbling, you should bring that to your manager. And this way, your manager is better equipped to accept to accept the liability of ruining a bottle of wine. And they're also, they can see what you're seeing. They can see the crumbling of the cork and it gets really around in difficulty. And the manager is going to say, you're going to do your best to try to open that. They know what's going on. He or she knows what's going on. And they're giving you the responsibility and they understand that what could happen? And now, what could happen? If you continue down with that cork, if it breaks completely, the cork falls apart. Once you break through the cork and it falls into your wine. At that point, on a fine bottle of wine, they call it corked. They say it's corked. And a lot of people will assume it's ruined. And it's a possibility. Yes, cork can ruin finer vintages. Or some people may say, I don't really care. <clears throat> But you got to watch because a lot of times, where the fine bottles of wine, there's a 
the wine should be stored and turned a quarter turn every so often. And it should be stored with a slight tilt to the front. Okay, so the whole cork is getting moisture to it and you turn it. And it's not just for that. It's just to make sure the sedimentary, uh, it's not, the sediments aren't sitting on the bottom of the glass. You got to think of it. Sometimes they're selling like 200 year old bottles of wine. And if they weren't stored correctly, there's people that uh, have a special, and at the higher end restaurants, there are cork removal systems that grab the cork itself between the bottle and the cork. You slide, it slides two sleeves in and it captures and pulls the whole cork out. Instead of with the wine key, you're using a screw system and you're using the pressure to pull that out with an intact cork. It just comes, slides out easy. A cracked one. So there's a lot of nuances to it. And there's a possibility the cork itself could be bad anyway because of the wood. Cork is wood. And if it, it, if it has been stored improperly, let's say it was cured wrong before it was turned into a cork, what? there's nothing you can do about it. And I've been to some uh, experience where one vintage seems to have a lot of bad corks and it was maybe the cork it was using. Or it's a possibility that they stored, the wine was stored upright for a couple of years where the cork wasn't getting any moisture to it. I mean, they're able to, like I said before, there's 200, bo- 200 year old bottles of wine that people are able to open. So what you should do, now once you, you've established that the cork is dried, you, you, you have two things you could do. If it's going to fall apart and you do it and it just starts collapsing, you've accepted the responsibility, you've told everyone that this is what, what's going on with it. If someone has a better take on how to open it and has another tool to do it, I would suggest leave it to them and leave it to a higher authority to consume the responsibility. But if it's left to you, you just got to slog on and you drive that corkscrew in a little deeper and you want to have it straight and you want to make sure that the cork is moist underneath. But if if it's already dry rot, it's dry rotted whether you wet the cork or not, but it adds a little more stability to the cork when you're removing it. So you drive that, you want to drive that cork uh, screw all the way down to the tip is almost poking through. And even with that, even with that, you're going to have to ease that out because there's a possibility that cork will just disintegrate and fall into the wine and which they can just say, I won't accept the wine. If you can get it out, and back that cork out, you save the whole bottle. If not, there's a possibility you lose it. And it's just one of the things you have to accept with that. But remember, it is a possibility. It could happen when you start seeing it happen, when you put the tip of that corkscrew in and you see a little give and there's nothing disintegrating. You got a good cork most of the time.
and you just proceed from there. And if there is, it's good to establish. It's almost like you're widening the net of responsibility around you. You're widening that net. The more expensive wine, the more you want to widen the net. If you have to call the owner, we're opening up that Chateau Rothschild. It's $1,200 bottle and the cork is dry. So the more expensive the wine, the more careful you are opening. You want to make sure it's centered into all this thing. I know it sounds like you're making you nervous, but with the right amount of precaution and preparation and procedure, you can handle it. You can handle it. It just happens. And you got to especially be when you, you're working at a place and someone brings in their wine. If they bring in their wine, and the cork, cork starts collapsing, I would turn it back over to that person. I would turn it back over to the person to do it. Now, the only thing you do, let's say it starts falling apart the top part of the cork, there is a possibility. If it's not a very expensive bottle of wine, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, the person says, I don't care if there's a little cork, you can drain, you can strain it out maybe or something like that. Uh, when it the top part uh, gets crumbly, you just drive that cork all the way in with a flat um, like a flat surface. Drive the cork into the bottle and you work it from there. But you want to kind of get the crumbly, while it's still stopped up, you want to get the crumbles off the top. So you just have a whole cork. You don't want little small pieces of cork floating around. And that's all I have to say about that. So, with the birthday and all that stuff, I had a lot of people... Um, it was it was interesting. I don't want to talk about the birthday anymore. I want to talk about names. And then I want to talk about uh, a certain visitor we had at the bar. Um, with your name as an employee at a family restaurant corner bar, if you're working at a place like Chili's, we got to have a name tag. You're putting your name on a tag, and that's what you want to be called. And people can see it, and they, they shouldn't alter your name, right? Someone that doesn't know you shouldn't alter your name. I always had this feeling. Like, if I introduce myself as Jim, that's what I want to be called. If I introduce myself as James, that's what I would call Jimbo, blah, 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 whatever. Now, but when this is my feeling on this, a wholehearted fun plan. When someone is friendly, terms with you is friendly, you know them, and you feel that you can call them whatever they want to be called, and you know, or whatever you want to call them, if they're on the thing, they can change. They can call me Jimbo, Big Jim, Jimmy, this and that. I have no problem whatsoever. Your friends, I mean, I even told people this. People I'm close with, they just call me ass. Hey, asshole. You know, like that. I don't want to... You don't do that too often around strangers. They know how to do it. They do it around people that know you. And you're used to being called an asshole. There's nuances to this. There are. Now, when someone doesn't know you, this is where I get to. And they call you and you say, what is your... Um, excuse me, what is your name? My name's Jim. Well, it happened Friday night. Someone asked me for my name. They came in right before we closed. They wanted to eat. And I said, okay, well, the kitchen's still open. They got food and stuff like that. I could put it in and stuff like that. Well, how much late will I be able to eat? I mean, will I be... I said, you'll be able to eat as long as it takes you to eat. But you're going to have to order in, a, in the next couple minutes. And 
and we had the conversation. I said, it's not me, the kitchen. It's very hot back there. They like to know there's a conclusion to the night and that it's not interminable. It doesn't go on forever. So we're going to get your order and stuff like that. And I was nice about it. I said, listen, they, they work really hard. It's hot back there and stuff like that. So we set a time, the end time. And you've come in at that time. And they go, what's your name? Jim. So they're sit- I have a regular sitting next to the couple that came in. And you've all, even if you're not in the business, you've always gotten a vibe where people, when they come in, you feel more comfortable with people than they are. And some people come off, you get a bad vibe or uncomfortable vibe around them. Well, I've had an uncomfortable vibe with this person, but I just went along. I said, yeah, we'll get you whatever you need. You can still order from the full menu and things like that. But when you get it, we're going to get complete order and it's going to be in. So my regular's there and he comes in late all the time to have his drink. And he's a great guy. He is a great guy. He comes in, he likes to drink a bullet and ginger beer. And he's, uh, the nice thing about the bar, and I always talk this, you've always, you know, they're friends. They are friends when they come in here and stuff like that. And you talk, if they had a hard day, tell me about what's your day? What do you got to do tonight? Blah, 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 blah. You had a hard week. And you say, oh, well, you know what? It's going to be better next week. Now it's time to relax. Don't think about it right now. It sounds like it's bothering you right now. But if you want to talk about it, talk about it. Do this stuff. And people like that. You know, when you get on friendly terms, they start calling you Jimbo, Big Jim, whatever they like to call me. I'm, I'm comfortable with it because they're saying it with caring and friendship and all those things. So this guy, the regular, decided he may have sounded like he called me Jimmy, which is fine. But the other guy who had a bad vibe about it goes, hey, Jimmy, get me another drink. And, I said, and this, my regular goes, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> He knew my thing. And and I know it sounds like I have a lot of different rules and stuff like that. And I realize that may be my problem. But I may I have a line in the sand. And the line in the sand is, if I don't know you, the name I introduce you to, me as, is the name I want you to call me if you want to use a name. Otherwise, you go, excuse me, bartender. If you can't handle that, it's excuse me, bartender, or excuse me, sir. Or, you know, if you can't handle Jim, then you do that. Well, he said, Jimmy. And I just looked at him and go, sorry, that's not my name. My name's Jim. And he's ready to come. And it's just, it's the nuances of the way I do things. Now, that extends into regular life, too. When I, uh, at the hospital, I always introduce myself as Jim, and they put that on the employee. Now, at the hospital, even though I sign my name James Haran, James P. Haran, they got all my name is Jim in all my records, which I'm okay with. And they know that. It's Jim. And, that's, and, and it's funny because I noticed there were people, if someone's name was James, there's people I work with that like to be called James. They don't like to be called Jim or Jimmy or Jimbo or this. They like James. And it's very, my, so if I was, 
if you're filling out a legal form, obviously, I'm not going to fill out Jim. That would be more of an alias of filling out a police record or someone's doing a background investigation. My full name is James Peter Patrick Haran III. Now, I can just say, that's my name, James Peter Patrick Haran III. What do you like to be called? James Peter Patrick Haran III. Because I say people would, um, you know, I remember working years ago in catering and I was a maitre d' and I was looking up uh, I had to do an introduction for a family and one of them happened to be a doctor father but didn't have doctor written down and I just saw the name so I called him mister and he goes my name is doctor my name is doctor I went to school I did this stuff I'm going to be called doctor I said I'm sorry I didn't have that written down but now I know and he goes, okay, Jim. I said, I'm, my name's James Peter Patrick Haran III. <laughs> you can call me James. <laughs> or Mr. James Peter Patrick Haran III. It's, th- th- this very interesting with the name thing. And as I said before, it's not necessarily the name, um, whether it's derogatory or not. It's depending how well the person knows me. If the person doesn't know me, I don't think they have the right to alter my name. They don't have the right. And there's some people that get to know really well quickly. There's a fast pass to uh, congeniality, I'd like to call it. You just meet them. You know, a person you click with, a husband and wife come in, they're from the area, they're very friendly, jovial, good-humored. You want to move it along and say, okay, yeah, I just want you to know. And it's not that unusual, because think of all the language. In, in Spanish, you have two, and you have, you know, two S, ustedes, formal, informal. And that's just, that's just the way we are, formal and informal. Some people, like, it's good to start out with formal, and they let you know. They'll let you know if you'd like it to be informal. I call someone miss or sir, no matter what. No matter what, they, they, I, until they start responding to me. You know? Some people don't want to be called sir. They'll let you know that. So if it sounds like I'm being particular, and all because you're listeners that are showing, you know me and stuff like that, yeah. Jim, Jimbo, Jimmy, Big Jim, Jim, you know, James. I did mention before, I always like when women call me James. So to move this along, I want to finish up. Several weeks ago, I had a older couple come in. Remember that thing I said about vibe? I didn't get a friendly vibe from the guy. He seemed he had glasses on. He could have been about 10 years, maybe a couple more years than 10 older than me, but it could be 10 years older. Didn't a big guy about my size, a little heavier. And uh, his woman he was with 
was very fashionable. She looked to be about in her mid sixties, uh, and so kind of refined, more refined than the guy. But the guy, I'm not saying the guy looked like uh, he just rolled in off the street. He just, she looked like she was more classy. So this guy comes in. He's sitting there, and I'm talking to him. He's not very friendly. He's got a very abrupt manner to him. And I've been known to be that way several times. So getting drinks and all that stuff. He's taking taking a while to get the information from him. They come in and say, oh, you like to eat? Yeah, we'd like to eat. Instead of saying, yes, well, we're going to be eating. Here's some menus for you. And what can I get for you to drink? And it takes a little more to get, you know, questions to get that information. Well, what would you like to drink now? Would you like a cocktail or water or anything like that? And so I'm... Not exactly pulling teeth, but it's not an ease of communication with it. But the woman seems to be really nice. Classy woman, like I said before. She orders her drink. She likes it with clubs. I think she liked the lemon and all this stuff. And he orders a similar drink. But, and then he orders a beer with it. He drinks a beer and stuff like that. So, it's later in the evening... They were only there about 15, 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, I see fire at the bar, on the other side of the bar. And I thought it was, for a moment, hallucinating. Then, look, he's holding his wallet, and there's fire coming out of his wallet. And that's not a normal thing. I saw it one time. And I, I put two and two together right away. You know, when someone opens a wall and there's a fire coming out of it, it's a magic trick. I put it real quick with, you know, less than a second because I'm ready to go. Was there just, and then I go, oh, because I've seen people. I had a bartender I used to work with years ago who used to get this, it's called flash paper. And you put flash paper in a ring or in your hand and it sits in a, a kind of like embedded in the ring. And you create a spark and flash paper burns real quick. And it looks like, you know, like that. Well, that's what he did. And he did it two or three times that night. And people, I guess the people in my bar used to magicians because they didn't get really that fascinated. And I didn't see any others. I said, oh, he has one trick and he does the same trick over. So he came in this past week. I don't want to drag it out. And he started, he started with it. He started with the, he opened the wallet and the, the fire came out. And I go, oh, I remember this. Now, this will tell you why I got the guy. I said, oh, I remember you exactly. You were a couple of you were sitting at these chairs right over here. And it was approximately a week or two ago. And I said, you know, when I first saw that, I was going to get grab my soda gun and spray it down. He goes, what do you mean? Soda gun? I said, it's soda gun right here. I can just hit it and I can hit it pretty directional. I mean, I may get you wet. And he goes, you know, I can shoot too. And I'm a good aim. And I go. You know, I'm talking about fire, right? And he goes, yeah. And he says, and you started talking about guns. And he goes, well, I'm a good shot. And I go, you know, and I go like this. You know, you're not supposed to have, you know, because Florida just passed the law last month. And it's the end of the month now, but it was, I think it was the beginning of last month, where you could carry concealed weapon as long as you can legally have if you can legally own a gun, you can legally conceal a weapon on you. But you're not supposed to be drinking in a bar with it. 
you're not supposed to be drinking. And I said to him, he goes, I said, you know, you're not supposed to have a gun in a bar. And he goes, well, unless I show it, there's no reason to know. And he said, you're wearing kind of shirt for that and all that stuff. So I said, listen, uh, I don't know. I didn't, I, didn't say, I didn't ask if that was a threat or anything like that. And I said, I'm looking at the guy and I said, well, I said, well, there's a feather in your cap there that you need one because I was worried that you were catching on fire. So he starts bringing out an egg. He's eating some appetizers, him and his... And the, and the woman seems to be a little annoyed by his antics. Right, he brings out an egg. It looks like a hard-boiled egg, so I'm thinking it's a fake egg or something. And I'm not paying attention because I used to work at places where musicians come in. And I saw their saw their tricks and stuff like that, but I realized they're tricks. So um, I had seen the wallet fire, and I didn't see what the egg was doing. He grabbed the bottle of beer and he did the thing where he's kind of like levitating in front of him, but he set it up. It's you have yet to see someone do magic. It's a trick. And he used to work with a guy. He used to get all pissed off. He hated magicians. He hated magicians for some reason. And I don't necessarily have a problem with magicians. I just go and look at them and go, oh, that's good. That's interesting. And it's, it's, it's illusionist. I think illusionist is probably the best way to describe somebody. Said no one, no one really does magic. You know, your card tricks, this and that, the flaming wall. So he's doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden, I see him have a bottle of lighter fluid and the wallet. And I'm thinking, oh, he's in a crowded restaurant spraying lighter fluid on this wallet. I think on a gauze because when I did um, one of those sword not a fire swallowing thing in Jamaica years ago because they dragged me up from a crowd. It was at a sandals and they had uh, flame eaters and they uh, invited members of the audience to go up. And I was one of the people and this other big guy got invited up. And I knew enough about it that the lighter fluid was just doused on this kind of gauzy substance and the gauze would catch fire and you there's nothing underneath it like that would conduct heat like metal you don't want to have gauze over metal because the fire would heat up the metal and you burn your mouth so everything so when you put the flame in your 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 you know your mouth or any place like that it automatically extinguishes and uh, they did it and they were showing us what to do with the baton and uh, that was flaming and then the guy takes it and he shoves it in my mouth and then he shoves it in my mouth and the other guy didn't and I go well I don't think they'd tell you to do that if it was dangerous because it's sandals and they're you know it's a hundred worth hundreds of millions of dollars if not billions of dollars this company at the time and I said well of course they're not going to do that for liability's sake now the guy at the bar dousing his wallet with and he one time he did. I'm ready to say, listen, you can't do that. Don't douse your wallet with flames because you're going to, I mean, if you're going to light yourself up like a Buddhist monk doing a Vietnam War, you can go and do that wherever you are. I don't want to, actually, I don't want to see you get caught on fire and die and stuff like that. But I especially don't want you to get anybody else on fire. And we're not designated for that. If anything were to happen, 
you know, please stop. But I didn't do it because I didn't get along with this guy. I didn't do it. And the next time he comes in, I'll remember him. And I say, listen, can you do, maybe not do that fire thing? Because it's, you know, we're not, you know, we're not ready for it. But I am, you know, I, I, I am ready. I know when the guy comes in, I better, I say, let me get a pitcher of water. Or two pitchers of water next time. Or maybe like a fire extinguisher. So I could put you out when you catch your, when yourself catch it on fire. I mean, you get a whole thing of lighter flowing, you spray it on the wallet. So I imagine you get a little on your pants. That would be exciting. So I, I'm looking for an escape artist. I said, I'm going to teach you how to be a escape artist if you're not careful. If you do that again. I mean, what do you mean? I'm going to tie up and put your ass in a chair and put you in a corner. No. Well... I'd like to thank you for listening. This is Jim the Keys Bartender. I forget to mention again that if you go to the website, www.keysbartender.com, that's keysbartender.com, and you go to gear, we have gear for sale. And if you want to show support for the show, uh, it's a um, all the gear we have. We have hats, T-shirts, uh, coffee mugs, wine mugs, water bottles. Uh, so it's a lot of Keys Bartender stuff. And it's powered by Shopify, so it's a secure, uh, secure payment thing. And if you want to show support for the show, please go there. And that's, instead of going through all those crazy commercials, you only have this one. And if you'd like to listen to the show, do that. Once again, thank you, everyone, for your warm wishes uh, for a birthday. I will be back later on the week. Uh, Wednesday, I have my uh, procedure. I may do a little bit of a show. Then I got to make sure I have my... Everything charged. I better charge my microphones, right? I'll talk to you later. I wonder if they'll let me. Abby, you know, I'm pretty sure they're not going to let me do it. Uh, liability, do it from the hospital uh, while they're operating on me. But if they, if they would, I would, I would do it. I would do a podcast or any operation because I'm not going to be out. It's just they're going through the arms. They're going to clear a blockage and put a stent in. So that would be pretty interesting because I did do a little podcast. If you want to hear. You go back to uh, March of this year, uh, the March 9th or 10th, well, March 9th, you can hear a podcast from the day I had my heart attack, after I had my heart attack, about four hours later. And uh, I'll, I'll probably be doing one from the recovery room if they let me have my phone. I don't even know if I'm allowed to have my phone. And it won't be, I won't be out. So I'll just be sitting around for 46 hours. I'll talk to you later. Have a great day. Thank you.